representative ancestral homelands of the Ramatishaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatishaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatishaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Item two is the approval of minutes for the October 10, 2023 Port Commission meeting. Is there a motion to approve the minutes? So moved. Second. second. Oh. Okay. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Motion passes unanimously. The minutes of the October 10th, 2023 meeting are adopted. Item three is the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Item four is announcements. Please be advised that the ringing of and use of cell phones and similar sound-producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. A member of the public has up to three minutes to make public comments on each agenda item unless the Port Commission adopts a shorter period on any item. Public comment must be in respect to the current agenda item. The Commission will take in-person and remote public comments on each item, beginning with commenters in person. For remote public comment, dial 1-415-655-0001 and enter access code 2662-671-9058, pound, pound. Then dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment on the item being discussed. An audio prompt will signal when it is your turn to speak. If you are watching this meeting on SFGUP TV, there is a short broadcasting delay. To not miss your chance to comment, please dial when the item you want to comment on is announced, mute your device, and listen to the meeting from your telephone, which has no delay. Item five is public comment on items not listed on the agenda. Is there any public comment on items not listed on the agenda? Seeing none, Lucinda, do we have anyone on the phone? There are no callers for public comment at this time. Thank you, public comment is closed. Item 6A is the Executive Director's Report, and for callers who wish to make public comments on this item, please dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment. Good afternoon, President Brandon, Vice President Adams, members of the Commission, members of the public and Port staff. I am Elaine Forbes, uh, the Director of the Port. I'd like to start with APEC. It's a very auspicious day and week that we're having this um, Port Commission meeting. I hope that you and everyone, all members of the public, are getting a chance really to come here and see the celebration and feel the excitement of APEC. The waterfront is very much on display this week. <clears throat> Not just because the waterfront is argu arguably the most beautiful place in the world, but also because we represent innovation, addressing with innovation and partnerships the most pressing problems like sea level rise is one key example. Our port team has been working around the clock uh, with many last minute pivots and requests working over the weekend and they have risen to the occasion. Last night, a Sky Star Ferris wheel opened to the public in Fisherman's Wharf and just in time. I have a full report and update for you and for the public. <clears throat> we will host dignitaries and heads of economies at our Exploratorium tomorrow. The production for the event and the heightened security for the event has and will cause impacts. We have maintained great partnerships with our tenants through this process, and our tenants have remained flexible. North and southbound explore, uh, Embarcadero lanes will be closed beginning tomorrow morning early and up to 24 hours around the event. <clears throat> this has been communicated with our tenants and to the public through the port, Secret Service, SFPD, SFMTA, and the mayor's office. We are trying very hard to get the word out about impacts uh, to travel. We have a team on site this week, and they will continue to be here for our tenants and our public during this disruption. And on a happy note, APEC has already benefited the port because it has accelerated our economic recovery. 
bringing the Ferris wheel to Fisherman's Wharf to try it out is a wonderful opportunity. And I'm really tremendously thankful for our skilled port, city, state inspection teams who made this possible. You will see signs of sprucing up everywhere. There's hanging flower baskets, string lights on trees, murals, refreshed pylons for the new city campaign to highlight innovation. You'll see new water taxi signage at the Embarcadero. You'll also see new wraps on the big belly trash cans and the ferry building has brought the clock tower scaffolding down. We also have more officers and ambassadors. SFPD is at full force. Port engineering and state officials, again, deserve special recognition. In addition to the Ferris wheel, they have permitted a light show and exploratorium work, major work, and in record time. Tomorrow night, we have a CAPA event, the California Association of Port Authorities. They will be hosting a discussion about the ports and more importantly, a network opportunity to welcome APEC partners. Lieutenant Governor Lenny Kunalakis, Secretary of CalSTA, Tokes Amishaken, uh, Director of GoBiz, Didi Myers, along with Executive Directors of major ports in California, LA, Long Beach, Oakland, and Wainimi are expected to attend. I will be there and I'm honored to give opening remarks. You are more than welcome to attend, commissioners and members of the public. We hope you can make it. <clears throat> it will be right here in this herring, herring room starting at 3.30. Um, I do want to recognize that this whole week I've been getting compliments about our staff. People have been calling me to say, you have the best, port staff are the best. They're so responsive and dedicated. So I just wanted to share that I've been getting calls this week and it makes me very proud. More news on economic recovery to maritime. Unfortunately, crab season has been delayed. Commercial Dungeness Crab Fishery south of Sonoma, Mendocino County line was scheduled to open November 23 in fishing zones 3, 4, 5, and 6. However, the season opener has been delayed in those zones because of the presence of a high number of humpback whales. <clears throat> the, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife said it anticipates that the next risk assessment will take place before November 17. To positive maritime news, the Pier 2052 boat launch. The public boat launch has been returned to full service of this facility. It had been closed following some major storms earlier this year. I want to thank our port maintenance team who got it back up and running. Now San Franciscans can get back out on the water and enjoy the bay. In other news, Thursday, November 2nd, the port hosted an assembly select committee on ports and good mo goods movement here in the port commission room. The committee chaired by assembly member Mike Gibson, who is tasked with overseeing California seaport operations and good movements. It was a very good panel discussion and was followed by waterside tours of port property. We're grateful to share our unique and diverse business lines with state's primary decision makers on policies affecting the California supply chain. And in big news for resilience, this last week, the city and the Army Corps agreed it was time to put our pencils down and get ready to release the draft adaptation plan. This is six years of work that is culminating in this moment where it's time to show the public the work. We were able to come to that agreement because we work very closely with our city agency partners to understand the moment we're at with the study, understand what that federal interest means, and to understand the commitments we're making and moving forward. We're very comfortable that we're in a good place with the Army Corps of Engineers in this partnership, and that their finding of federal interest is going to be incredibly beneficial to us creating an earthquake, sea level rise, resilient port. Turning to equity. November is National Native American Heritage Month. The port is excited to celebrate Native American Heritage Month and Indigenous people's history, resilience, culture, and achievements this month and throughout the year. The US Congress officially recognized November as Native American Indian Heritage Month in 1990, stating American Indians are the original inhabitants of the land that now constitutes the United States of America. Today, Native Americans sadly represent less than 1% of the population in California. The port is committed to combating Native invisibility. We recognize that our workforce is lacking in Native American rep representation, and we are developing strategies to correct this deficit. We look forward to the port staff's participation in this month's quality port equity programming, and I thank our equity champions for making this important programming available. 
to two key projects, uh, Mission Rock and Pier 70. Both are approaching major infrastructure milestones. As you know, both of these neighbors require very intense new public infrastructure that is a significant investment and very complex. The city staff is, is working with the port and the developers to advance the city acceptance of this public infrastructure. These are roads, utilities, sidewalks, and other improvements the neighborhood requires. At Pier 70, Brookfield has completed the construction of utilities and surface improvements serving phase one of the project, which will support anticipated 588 residential units, more than 100,000 square feet of maker PDR retail space, and up to 460 square feet of commercial space. In addition to the public infrastructure needing to be accepted, these, these uh, approval processes also reiterate maintenance and liability commitments. Staff is striving to complete this work and we anticipate Pier 70 before this commission as early as December, followed by a Board of Supervisor action next year. And for Mission Rock, acceptance is expected to occur in 2024. Commissioners, consistent with the write-off policy adopted pursuant to Resolution 2211, Port staff provided a report summarizing two recommended write-off accounts. This month, you'll have 30 days to review them, and we will process. If you have any concerns, please do contact me, and I will schedule a, a future commission item. And in closing, we thank you, commissioners, for your leadership and your advancement of our bold strategic plan priorities, and happy APEC week. This concludes my report. Thank you, Elaine. Is there any public comment on the executive director's report? Seeing none, Lucinda, is there anyone on the phone? There are no callers for public comment at this time. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Harrington? Thank you. Um, thank you again, Elaine. Wonderful report. Um, congratulations to all the port staff for all the work on APEC. And I'm particularly excited about the Army Corps announcement coming up in, in full detail. So thanks very much. Back to you. Thank you. Commissioner Lee. Well, again, great news on the Ferris wheel because even though that, uh, you know, we have all these programs to try to boost morale and everything else, that Ferris wheel will bring us so much motivation to that area. Hopefully we'll, we'll help our empty storefronts there. And also it gives more motivation now. You know, I think the whole neighborhood is getting excited. So I'm, I'm happy for that. That was a great move. And I'm glad the Corps of Engineers are ready to release because as you know, in, in Los Angeles, they're seismic, a new dam there. And it's been going on for, it's on the books for like a few years. And now their costs have doubled. And they're, they're saying labor and costs of products are gonna be going up. So I'm glad it's finally gonna be out there so we can start you know, getting on the ball and raising some money and get this stuff started as soon as possible. So good news on that. Thank you. Vice President Adams. Director Forb and uh, staff, <clears throat> it's good to hear once again that someone's singing your praises. I know sometimes you think the commissioner's kind of tough and we know Christmas is coming, so we're not the Grinch, but I just want to say thank you again for uh, the shout out and the work that you do do. And we know your commitment goes way beyond the call of duty and you work way beyond just your nine to five here at the port. You take your jobs home with you. Sometimes you work weekends and you go to these community meetings. So we definitely know how far you go way beyond the call of duty. And definitely, uh, Director Forbes, I know you're out there swimming in the ocean and doing all kind of other things up at 5.30 in the morning out there, and I worry about a great white catching you or something. <laughs> but you're out there and driving hard. Um, I'm like the rest of the commissioners, very grateful. I'm glad the Ferris will. And to speak about APEC, this is a, uh, a boost in the arm, I think, for the city and county of uh, San Francisco. And I definitely, definitely want to thank Lieutenant Governor Kuna Lakas, uh, Mayor Breed, and all those that were involved uh, to, to raise the profile because a lot of people felt we had an image problem here in San Francisco. And I think people are seeing it that it's you know, safe to come back to San Francisco and anything's going to take time, right, as we, as we push the pause button and restart. So thank you. Thank you again. And once again to the staff, thank you. Thank you, uh, Elaine. Great report. Um, it's so exciting that APEC is here. 
and it's just wonderful to see how much the port is benefiting from it being here and how it's showcasing and highlighting our waterfront and along the way um, investing in the port and our economic recovery. So I think it's just wonderful. I want to congratulate the staff and congratulate you for getting all the compliments that you do because I do think we have the best staff in the city. So thank you guys. Really appreciate all the work because I know it has not been easy these past few weeks. Everyone has like worked overtime. So thank you. Um, it's great to hear about the Army Corps, six years, and here we are. That is so exciting, um, and we're going to look at one of the projects today. So um, I, I think it's wonderful that uh, we have such a great partnership with the Army Corps and that they, too, are going to make a big investment in San Francisco, and so we have to seize this opportunity. It's so wonderful to hear that Mission Rock and Pier 70 are moving along, creating new communities. I think it's wonderful. And just again, really have to thank Director Forbes and the staff for all the work that you do that nobody really knows about. All the behind the scenes meetings and permitting and da 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 da, -da that you do constantly and, and with a smile. So really pat yourselves on the back. Thank you. And real quickly now, President Brandon gave an eloquent speech. Check your stockings at Christmas time and be looking for those packages under the tree. <laughs> He's the gift giver. <laughs> Thank you, Elaine. Next item, please. Item 7 is the consent calendar. For callers who wish to make public comment on the consent calendar, please dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment. Item 7A requests approval of a proposed amendment to the Port Commission Rules of Order to allow the Commission to adopt a calendar which sets dates outside of regular meetings previously held on the second Tuesday of each month and on the fourth Tuesday during the months of February and April. This is Resolution 2348. Item 7B requests authorization to accept and expend a $50,000 grant from the California Department of Parks and Recreation, Division of Boating and Waterways, Surrendered and Abandoned Vessel Exchange, SAVE program to allow for removal, storage, and disposal of eligible surrendered and abandoned vessels within the Port of San Francisco. This is Resolution 2349. And Item 7C requests approval of updates and clarifications to the fiscal year 2023-24 Parameter Rental Rate Schedule. This is Resolution 2350. Thank you. Can I have a motion to approve? Um, I would like to pull an item off. Okay. <laughs> Which item? Um, Madam, thank you, Madam President. If we could pull item 7A off to make an amendment. <clears throat> okay. So we're going to pull um, 7A off and uh, have a discussion, but we're going to move forward with 7B and 7C. So can I have a motion so to move. approve? Second. Thank you. Okay. Is there any public comment on 7B or C? There are no callers for public comment at this time. Thank you. And there's no public comment in the room, so public comment is closed. All in favor? Aye. 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 The motion, any opposed? The, the motion passes unanimously. 7A, 7B and 7C are adopted. Going back to item 7A, requesting approval of a proposed amendment to the Port Commission Rules of Order to allow the Commission to adopt a calendar which sets dates outside of regular meetings previously held on the second Tuesday of each month and on the fourth Tuesday during the months of February and April, Resolution 2348. Commissioner Harrington. Thank you, Madam President. Um, I have no problem at all with the substance of this amendment First, that you're putting I'm on sorry, there. I'm sorry. Can I have a motion? So, so moved. Is, is there? No, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> and seconded. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Um, the dates that were, put, that were given to us for next year, I noticed that November 5th is election day, and some of us are glued to a TV during the commission meeting hours on election day, <laughs> or out doing it, got the vote campaign work. So um, if we could move it to a different date, and the staff have recommended November 19th. So I would move an amendment to that schedule to make the November meeting to be November 19th. So moved. Second. Any further conversation? All in favor? 
Aye. 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 Any opposed? Resolution 2348 has been approved. Next item, please. Item 8A is an informational presentation and possible action to approve request to advertise for competitive bids for construction contract number 2861, WRP Wharf J9 replacement project, phase one, float and gangway. This is resolution 2351. And for callers who wish to make public comments on this item, please dial star three to raise your hand to comment. Good afternoon, uh, President Brandon and fellow commissioners. I'm Wendy Proctor, uh, Acting Deputy Director of the Port Engineering and previously the Project Manager for uh, the Waterfront Resilience Program's early projects. I'm supported here today by Stephen Reel. He's the uh, Deputy Program Manager for Waterfront Resiliency uh, Resilience Program Project Delivery. Thank you for the opportunity today to present an informational presentation and possible action for approving the request to advertise for competitive bids for a construction contract for the Wharf J9 project, phase one, float and gangway. A previous informational update was presented by Stephen Reel when he covered the list of Waterfront Resilience Program early projects. This is one of seven that are advancing into the, the one of seven of the seven that are in pre-design, the replacement of the Wharf J9 and adjacent seawall were identified in 2021 as a potential early project and the pre-design is well underway and the delivery is anticipated between 2027 and 2023. The list of early projects was developed using the three principles being implementable and reducing the earthquake risk and flood risk. This project is located along the shoreline of the outer lagoon of Fisherman's Wharf, which is, has high risk of earthquake lateral spreading and has emerging flood risk. And the wharf and the fixed berthing is currently closed due to deterioration of the timber wharf structure and the bulkhead. Maritime staff have expressed a strong desire to help the area recover from COVID pandemic and accelerating the construction of the float portion of the project as early, as early as possible to support off-the-boat fish and crab sales while the replacement project is being designed. As a result, phase one float and gangway project was created, which will fabricate and install a new float and gangway adjacent to the closed Wharf J9 in time for crab season opening in 2024 to support the economic recovery of the Fisherman's Wharf and improve customer contact with off-the-boat fish sales and crab sales. The goals of the project and objectives are to create a resilient shoreline, include a floating dock which provides ADA accessibility for the fishing industry and improved disaster response capacity, along with an improved connection for the public and to the fishing industry and create an experience that attracts and connects visitors to the waterfront. This illustration is from the pre-design needs assessment phase for the project, which shows the benefits of the basic safety improvements, which will provide a new uh, resilient uh, structure, and then potential open space benefits, enhancements. The project delivery plan is to connect the float, or sorry, con to construct the float and gangway in advance with the, with the end design in mind. The float and gangway are designed to be functional in both phase one and phase two. The float and gangway is planned to be in place for roughly three to five years, and it will be moved out of the way during construction of the phase two of the wharf and then returned to the site for the final location. This is the configuration of phase one. It's designed so that the float will be located along the outer edge of the existing wharf with an entrance from Alscoma Bridge. In the final design, the entrance will be have a landing off of, and to the gangway from the new wharf. The bid documents were prepared by uh, Port Engineering Division's as-needed consultant, Moffat and Nickel, with an OLMM joint venture. This is a snip of what those construction documents look like. The request to advertise includes an 8% LBE goal, which was established by the city's contract monitoring division. 
this percentage is lower than some recent projects due to the specialized nature of the work. Materials were also, are also specialized to be able to withstand the maritime environment and, and it skews the typical ra ratio of material to labor costs, resulting in a relatively low um, percentage. If approved, this will be the first use of the 2018 seawall general obligation bond funds for construction. The bond funds will be used specifically for the construction of the float and the gangway that will be part of the final design. Federal stimulus money will be uh, used to support the balance of those contract expenses which are not bond eligible. The final amounts will be based on the actual costs resulting from the selected bid. Port staff is prepared to seek bids for the Waterfront Resilience Program Wharf J9 Replacement Project Phase 1 Float and Gangway contract and therefore respectfully request uh, the Port Commission to authorize advertising the competitive bids for the construction contract 2861. I'm available along with Stephen Riel for any questions uh, on the project. Thank you. Can I have a motion? So moved. Second. <clears throat> Thank you. Is there any public comment on this item? Seeing none, is there anyone on the phone? <laughs> there are no callers for public comment at this time. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Lee. Well, <clears throat> I'm glad that, that finally we're going to address this situation because when I look at it every time I walk by, I think it's going to fall down. So I have a question on, of course, the engineering part when we have to bring it up to date. And But on the historical look, you know, I really like how the picture of the back of the warehouses, how it kind of looks like a, a fisherman's wharf of the 50s, 40s. Is the design going to keep this in place so that it becomes a, its own little tourist attraction? where we kind of preserve, you know, kind of the back of the warehouses. Because, you know, even uh, without looking at the damaged part, but just at the back of the warehouse with the lanterns and everything, are those going to stay in place or do they have to be upgraded? The, the design of the public realm is not finalized yet. Originally, we were working with, uh, there was a fish alley um, character district, which now they've, uh, in an update of the waterfront plan, they have uh, determined that, that 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 character district has been when they removed J10 years ago, that that actually degraded that character district, so it's no longer in place. But they have determined that the there's uh, two key buildings on the Alscoma Way that are still significant to because they were used for boat repair and boat manufacturing in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah. And there used to be a boat slip um, where they had the repairs, uh, where they queued up the boats underneath Casignolas. Uh, so the all the public realm will be following basic principles that we have in place with port planning, as well as maintaining maintaining those buildings. But there may be some modifications to um, some areas that are along the wharf itself that can make that more beneficial for being able to engage with the water and the fishermen and activate that area. Um, some of those buildings may change, some may stay the same, but it'll progress and as in the phase two. Yeah, I think, I think if we could try to keep that theme, I mean, it's kind of like Santana Row in San Jose, you know, people kind of go there, they feel like they're walking through Disneyland. You know, and since, uh, you know, Pier 45, they have this idea of a museum and a working museum and things like that. I think it would go hand in hand if we can have like that little fish alley, especially highlighting that little boat repair place. I mean, I think I think for the for Fisherman's Wharf to add another place where people can come visit, it's an added plus. So we should take advantage of that. Yeah, everything underneath, we don't see it, but we always see everything above ground. So that would be my only recommendation. So I'm glad it's being done. Yes, thank you. We completely agree that we're hoping that this project will benefit those older buildings that are there. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Harrington. Thank you, Madam President. Um, great, great point, Commissioner Lee. Thank you very much for raising that. Uh, I had a question on, on page 11 where you're talking about 
the concrete floating gangway is almost three million, and then all other work is about two and a half million. But I'm gathering that all the work really is the really is the floating gangway. It's just it's really a more of a matter of what can be paid for by different sources. Is that true, or is there really other work? Uh, the the manufacturing of the float and the gangway and any utilities that are embedded in it that's going to be part of the final design can be paid for by the bond. But anything that's going to be related to the temporary uh, phase one construction, such as there's going to be a temporary platform okay. that's going to be constructed where the gangway will sit, um, that's going to be there for two to three to five years, and then that'll be taken out. Okay. There'll be guide piles that are going to be put in temporarily that probably cannot be reused. So those will be taken out, and so those are the items, types of items that would be paid for by the additional funds. Got it. That makes sense. Right. Um, and one point that I, I don't mean to open up a whole new thing, and it's not related specifically to this project. I don't expect a response from you, but whenever I see things like 8% LBE participation, it's, it's always a bit disappointing because those goals tend to end up being caps in many ways. Um, if someone could take a look, get back to us at some point in the future, of whether there's any way to give additional points or additional credit if somebody goes over and above what that minimum guaranteed kind of LBE participation is. I'd love to see. I'm sure it's been discussed many times, but if you could take another look at it and see if there's any way that we can kind of give people credit for doing better than just this minimum, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. That makes sense. Vice President Adams? That was the question that uh, Commissioner Harrington, that I was going to ask about the 8% and how was this process going to work? I'm like uh, Commissioner Harrington. I think we have to continue to build upon it. And we just came up with this 8%. Why couldn't it be 15% or 12%? And if you go down to 10 or 11, but if we said 8%, then it's going to wind up being 4 maybe 3%. And I think we ought to raise the expectations. And he, that was the question I was asking. When I look at it, it's always pretty much the same. And I, I, I never seem really to get the answers that I need. I know they said there's federal laws, there's always something. But I've kind of learned in, in politics and a lot of things, people have a way of getting things done. And for some reason, it seems like we're boxed in on certain things. Mm -hmm. And we can't get beyond that. And uh, I think we could do better. So thanks. I can make a couple of comments. Um, it's the contract monitoring division. It's a different division from the port that determines what that LBE requirement is, that subcontracting goal. And it's typically 20% or above. And as you've seen from our quarterly reports, we hit 50 and above percent to LBEs often in quarters. And we've been monitoring our data really carefully. And when we started, we weren't doing that well with diversity. Um, but we've gotten, we've come a very, very long way. Here, it's, it's the, it's the in-water construction. It's the manufacturing of the float. It's the availability of the LBEs that they're studying. And we don't have a lot of registered LBEs, or maybe none, in some of these areas, which is why they came up with the 8%. However, and I'm going to lean on my city attorney, asking for additional points if you go above and beyond 8% or find other ways to engage LBEs, I think, is an excellent concept. And we have looked at it before. Um, and we'll look at it again here. And if we can add that uh, to the, the bidding criteria, I will do so um, and report back on that, if that pleases the commission. That would be wonderful. Yeah. And, and I think my questions were answered also because I was going to ask about the LBE and about the um, bond-eligible expenses. But now that we're talking about the LBEs, it seems like uh, we have a multi-billion dollar project here that most of it's going to be in water. So what are we doing to prepare the workforce or minority businesses or small businesses to be able to participate? Yep. And so I think it's something that we really have to look at because this has been going on for the 26 years I've been on the commission mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. not much has changed. So now that we have this huge project with more projects coming, mm -hmm. What are we doing to make sure that we're able to get more LBE involvement? 
Absolutely, and if I can just speak a little bit to that, this is a big, big issue in the REIT and the Racial Equity Action Plan. And staff have been coming at this in two ways. One is to introduce young people to Maritime. So there's been the Maritime Academy. I believe I brought a video for you to see the interns and the work that we've done in developing the pipeline. But also it's in the relationship building and demystifying in-water work and kind of breaking it apart. And Tiffany Tatum has led with the Maritime Division those kinds of explanations. But this is a serious issue. And we are striving to be part of a solution to it. So I'll continue to report mostly through that REAP and the work that the Maritime Division has been doing in this regard. Is there anything, Andre Coleman, that I missed that you'd want to add? Or Dominic Moreno? Okay. Or Wendy. Uh, Wendy. Or Wendy. <laughs> Wendy, please. <laughs> I learned something today that I think would be nice to share on this topic, which is <clears throat> we had a bid opening recently for another maritime project and learned that one of the bigger companies that's in the local area is mentoring a smaller company for, that just been on that project. So that's going to be coming your way soon. I, it's all still in the works, so it's, there's nothing official there, but I was very pleased to hear that. That's great. Thank you for sharing. Okay, any more comments? What is this maritime school you were talking about? It's an internship program we put together for kids that go to Saliburton High School, and it was a, um, a very hands-on, go, go to the Maritime Academy, get certified for various skill sets related to in-water safety, um, and learn other mariner trades. Uh, it was a really wonderful experience for the kids, and then they did a presentation at the end to all Port Senior staff, and a lot of Port staff joined to hear what they learned over their time and how they were. will take that forward. It was just a, a very good opportunity that, that staff put together. I guess that question maybe you to Andre, but I know Cal Maritime cost a lot of money to go. And a lot of these maritime schools cost tons of money. A lot of inner city kids can't afford it. And I haven't heard anybody talking about the program that the IBU has up in Oregon. And it started under Lyndon B. Johnson through Job Corps. Mm -hmm. And what happens is in this program, you go to the school and have all the trades and maritime. You go to school for 18 months. Mm -hmm. And the Department of Labor pay pays you. It's a class of about 100. And a lot of these kids are from inner city schools all over the country, 18 to 24. And I know some people say, well, I went to Job Corps. It doesn't seem as prestigious as saying I went to Cal Maritime. Well, mm -hmm. Job Corps is free. Mm -hmm. They give you a stipend. Uh, they teach you four months how to cook. They give you four months in the wheelhouse. They give you four months on the deck. And then once you get done with your 18 months, they will get you a job out with one of these shipping companies, actually, either with the uh, IBU, MMP, SIU. Mm -hmm. And it's right up outside of Portland. It's probably about an hour outside of, of Portland, and it's mm -hmm. through Job Corps. Because some of these maritime schools can cost up to $100,000. Mm -hmm. And there are several kids that I know that went through this program. They are actually now pilots mm -hmm. down in uh, Houston, making about $400,000 a year. And what happened when they got out of that, they went to, to sea. And then to become a pilot, you got to become a tugboat pilot. Mm -hmm. And they got all their certificates, mm -hmm. and they will continue to pay you while you're going to school to get your certificates. Mm -hmm. So I would ask that you would look into that, too. Any other questions or comments? We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion passes unanimously. Resolution 2351 is adopted. Jenica, next item, please. Item 9A is an informational update to the Port Commission on staff's efforts and paths to support offshore wind energy deployment off the California coast in federal waters. For callers who wish to make public comment on this item, please dial star 3 to raise your hand to comment. Good afternoon, President Brandon, Vice President Adams, Commissioners, Director Forbes. My name is Andre Coleman, Deputy Director of Maritime. I'm joined by uh, Simon Betzalel with uh, Capital Projects Manager with the Port Engineering Division. This is an informational update on staff's efforts to date to support the offshore wind energy deployment off of the uh, California coast. Uh, earlier in April of this year, staff provided the commission with a, a general overview of the nascent 
U.S. Uh, offshore wind industry and California's goals to uh, deploy offshore wind as detailed in Assembly Bill 525. And today we're here to, to, to update you um, on staff's efforts and to uh, identify some next steps. Um, <clears throat> before I continue, I just want to note, um, and I know Simon will cover, cover some of this as well, but since that April meeting, we've been involved in uh, several offshore wind conferences, both locally and others in, in uh, other areas of the state and outside of the state. A lot of engagement from offshore wind uh, developers, I think Simon, uh, and working with Moffat and Nickel as well, the Ports on Call Consultant. Uh, we've fielded a lot of and held a lot of discussions with, uh, um, with offshore wind developers, um, both domestically and internationally. A lot of engagement with, um, with eight government agencies as well. So uh, the engagement has, continues. Uh, we've uh, met with uh, local labor unions um, from Longshore to uh, Carpenters Union to other trades as well, uh, the local metal trades, um, and additionally, um, some uh, early engagements with the, uh, the Southern Advisory Committee, so all of which have been uh, fairly positive. Uh, so just for a refresher on offshore wind, again, what is it? Renewable energy source. Um, offshore wind energy generates electricity through wind forms um, in bodies of water, usually at sea. They see, of course, there are higher wind speeds, which generate significant load of electricity per um, amount per capita of wind forms installed. Uh, West Coast, of course, we have deeper water, so that will require uh, required floating turbines in comparison to <clears throat> the traditional fixed floating turbines. Um, offshore wind installed globally, there's approximately 123 megawatts of floating turbines. Uh, and as of June of 2021, uh, 42 megawatts of installed offshore wind operating capacity in the U.S. And I'll note on the East Coast, uh, they are ahead of the West Coast and the Gulf in their offshore wind deployments, but they currently have uh, two <coughs> projects that are under construction uh, off of the coast of Massachusetts and New York with challenges, but uh, they are in the works. This next slide is just an illustration of the offshore wind ecosystem. So you can see the floating turbine, um, then feeding a transformer with transmission lines to landside uh, and then to uh, communities. But the little circle in red, uh, that's the illustration of ports, and that's where we play our part uh, in this, this ecosystem of offshore wind, uh, which includes staging, um, integration, manu manufacturing, and assembly of offshore wind components for them to then be towed out and deployed um, for at least in the California coast off of the two call areas that I'll speak to a little bit uh, later in the presentation. Large components, I believe as of 20, in 2016, uh, the scale was around 330 feet, and by 2035, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they will be somewhere around uh, 500 feet. So uh, these are, are very tall uh, structures uh, and wide in diameter as well. Um, so Federal Bureau of Ocean Management, yeah, that's the, the, they manage the federal level of planning for offshore wind. Again, the national goal is to deploy 30 megawatts of offshore wind by 2030, creating a pathway for up to 110,000 megawatts by 2050. <coughs> The designated call areas off the California coast are, again, to the north um, off of Humboldt Bay and to the south uh, off of the Morro Bay. Earlier this year, there was a, a lease auction, if I'm not mistaken, um, and I uh, believe there were five successful uh, bidders for those lease, au lease auctions. Um, lease areas, they have the potential to produce up to 4.6 gigawatts of offshore wind energy, enough to power more than 1.5 million homes. Um, CEC, California Energy Commission, so uh, they're in the works of developing a strategic plan for installing offshore wind and floating turbines off the coast of California. Um, in that strategic plan, they are tasked with including uh, port availability uh, for new existing ports, required port investments, economic and workforce development potential, and impacts to coastal resources, fisheries, Native American and indigenous peoples, lands, national defense, and strategies for addressing those impacts. The map to the right identifies current port locations uh, in California. Uh, the two that are, or at least the one that is uh, advanced in their preparation for uh, offshore wind is the Port of Humboldt. Uh, you'll see in the Bay Area there are a host of ports that may play uh, a role in offshore wind. Uh, of course, the Port of San Francisco, we're working to position ourselves. 
to, to have a piece in that in the uh, chain of economics for offshore wind. Um, and then in, to the south, I believe the uh, Port of Long Beach has uh, increased their efforts for um, offshore wind uh, support as well. Um, and with that, I will turn it over to Simon. Hello, uh, my name is Simon Betzalel. Uh, as Andre said, I'm a project manager with the Capital Projects uh, Division within engineering. Um, I've been with the port about a year, so I'm excited to be in front of you for the first time with such a big potential project. Um, Andre left this off at CADEMO. This stands for California Demonstration Project. Uh, this is intended to be a pilot project before those large federal projects get underway. So they're proposing to install four turbines at a medium-sized scale in state waters, uh, so closer to land. Uh, this is near the Vandenberg Air Force Base uh, in Southern California. So uh, it kind of starts a transition into an actual project because they have a shorter time frame since they're trying to do something smaller. Uh, we've had conversations with them. They're in their permitting process right now. They've named the Port of San Francisco as a potential location for fabricating their foundations. Um, and through our initial work with Moffat Nickel, we've determined that Pier 9496 has the capacity today to be able to serve um, their needs. Uh, but those are very preliminary early conversations. Um, so to be determined if anything happens there, but um, still an exciting opportunity. Uh, so through our work with Moffat Nickel over the last uh, six months in preparing our concept report, uh, we tasked them initially with looking at port jurisdiction to determine what sites within our portfolio could be of use to offshore wind. Uh, they identified Pier 70, the former shipyard, Pier 80, the brake bulk terminal, and then Pier 9496 in the upland area. Um, Pier 9496 is where we focused our efforts uh, because it's the largest uh, contiguous portion of land and potentially has the greatest benefits for the industry. Uh, but to quickly touch on Pier 70 and Pier 80, Pier 70 could potentially be used as operations and maintenance facility. Uh, that's smaller vessels that go out to the wind farms on more regular basis for um, maintenance and sign of repair activities. Uh, so kind of they need a lot of wharf space, but smaller vessels, so it could be accommodated within Pier 70, as well as potentially administration offices. Um, and that would be beneficial because of the proximity to kind of the more urban San Francisco area, restaurants, shops, housing. Um, also potential to use some of the uh, formerly industrial property there for component fabrication of smaller components. Uh, and then Pier 80, which we use as brake bulk, um, kind of in line with offloading of offshore wind components for fabrication into larger components. And then with that large surface area, potentially indoor and outdoor storage of components um, to help aid in the capacity of the supply chain. But the majority of the work did focus on 94 and 96. Um, so the green area and orange area here uh, are areas of a conceptual study. There are current leases there, so nothing is you know, set in stone here. We're not telling people to leave. Uh, but this was kind of viewed as what it could be uh, potentially, could be kind of the largest area. Uh, offshore wind needs a lot of space to fabricate these things. They're huge, as you've seen in some of the renderings. Um, but this site also is um, kind of exciting because it's an opportunity to leverage two objectives, one being offshore wind, the second being uh, FEMA and emergency preparedness. Uh, Pier 96 is currently designated as an emergency response site, so there's an opportunity to improve this land for both uses and leverage multiple funding streams. But eventually, uh, an expanded wharf would be kind of the largest asset here, uh, so expanding it from 50 feet of width to 150, uh, and creating about a five-acre area with very high-capacity soils. Uh, and lots of new piers or piles uh, to support heavy lift cranes and those big components coming on and off of vessels. And then potentially the large upland area, up to 90 acres, doing soil strengthening as well for uh, the machinery and the fabrication that might happen there, uh, as well as providing updated utilities and improved drainage. So that was the kind of conceptual work that Moffat Nickel prepared. Uh, kind of leading into this larger concept of how this could be used for the industry. So the rendering here um, shows how it could be used. This is not work that the Port of San Francisco is proposing that we undertake. Uh, the work that we are looking at is everything below grade, kind of preparing the site for eventually a developer or an operating partner to come and start creating those foundations you see in the rendering. 
but the port of san francisco has some real benefits in this site one being that the water directly adjacent to ninety four ninety six is very deep uh, it's self dredging or it's self scouring meaning we don't need dredging that's a that's a huge advantage in terms of permitting as compared to other ports in california um, also because of the eco maritime industrial district um, there's adjacent concrete production plants that's a very valuable resource that's just right next door that could be used for creating these foundations. Also availability of workforce, um, not only in just San Francisco overall, but because of proximity to Hunters Point and Bayview, potential for LBE requirements, local hire requirements, potentially community benefits agreements, capturing some of that economic uh, benefit locally. And then also advantage uh, both for supplies and for personnel is just very good transportation connectivity, both with public transit the adjacency of the highway, and the um, intermodal container terminal for rail just to the south of this site. So for next steps, um, engineering, maritime, and legislative affairs staff are continuing to engage with offshore wind stakeholders. Uh, in developing our concept report, we spoke to over 20 different um, <coughs> industry partners, whether that was uh, state level, um, operators, both international and uh, national, uh, as well as uh, specific equipment manufacturers. They helped us determine the site use here. Uh, we're also pursuing state and federal grant opportunities. Um, two weeks ago, I and uh, Boris Delapine with Legislative Affairs went to Sacramento to talk about AB 209. That's a state bill that is putting together a grant opportunity for funding of offshore wind design. So we're, we kind of pitched our case. We showed them what we were thinking about and offered some feedback on how a grant um, might be structured and how we might be eligible for that kind of work. And then we're very early in preparing an RFP for design. Um, and the very early as in we're kind of just beginning to structure the document, we're kind of seeing what kind of funding we have. There's an opportunity to potentially use a hazard mitigation grant from FEMA to inform this work, as well as seeing if um, funding shakes out through our capital improvement um, project process. Uh, so this is all for your information. Um, we propose to continue down the path that we've talked about and um, interested in your comments. Thank you. Is there any public comment on this item? Seeing none in the room, is there anyone on the phone? There are no callers for public comment at this time. Thank you. Public comment is closed. Commissioner Harrington. Uh, thank you, Madam President. Um, and thank you, Simon and Andre, for your report. It all sounds very exciting. The, the last couple of pages of it talked about about a billion dollar price tag for doing this. Can you talk any more about where you think that comes from or when we might know more or what, what your assumptions are even? It won't come without help. Um, <laughs> federal government, most likely, is what we're thinking. Um, right now, we're trying to piece together design. Uh, we're looking at uh, significant design costs as a percentage of that overall budget, potentially $10 million just for design work alone. Uh, we have a, or a coming FEMA grant that we're hoping that can be the seed money for that, and then potentially capital improvement dollars as well. So it's going to be piecemeal. Um, we're hoping to initiate at least enough design that we can begin permitting. This effort is a very long effort. Um, so there's plenty of time, hopefully, for funding to fall into place. But we want to be able to position San Francisco to begin permitting so that we're competitive when viewed against the other ports within the, the state. And that makes perfect sense. I'm just, I'm always surprised when the federal government and states say they have this great new plan, they'd love to do all this work, but they don't provide kind of seed money to get it going. But yeah. good luck. <laughs> Commissioner Lee? Yeah, uh, I'm looking at your proposal. So Pier 70, you said you want to, are you currently looking for tenant or that's just a proposal? So for the, the Pier 70 location, that was just a, a site that was evaluated uh, in us working with Moffitt and Nickel to look at available sites that could, can accommodate some component of, of offshore wind development. I think for Pier 70, there's potential for wet storage and some of the other uh, uh, pieces of the puzzle that, that Simon outlined. Uh, but I think a lot of the focus is going to be Pier 94 and 96. Um, this is, you know, there's uh, this is several years out. Um, so, you know, I'll just say uh, for Pier 70 specifically, there are near-term uh, objectives there uh, mm -hmm. that we're working towards um, to 
which include continuing interim leasing, et cetera. But, okay. I just, yeah. I'm just curious because there are people out there looking for space for something like this, and they're already going to Oakland. So, you know, I didn't know if this is available, that you guys want to open it up to start opening discussion before they make a decision to go to Oakland. So I was just curious because when it says currently, I thought we're currently looking for a tenant. So that was just one question. And uh, after they get the funding or whoever funds this, I'm just always curious is, okay, we generate all this electricity. Who gets, who gets all the power and where's all, uh, who's making the money? You know, like the support get a cut of this power or uh, are we charging them rent for the, I mean, I don't know ex exactly. We all like to have uh, wind, sh wind shore power, but at the end of the day, what corporation is getting the the cheese, as so they we, say? We we haven't gotten that that far out, gotten that far out just yet. But power purchases, power purchase agreements, et cetera. I mean, that's that's all still on the table. Uh, but um, you know, I, I, again, for the where the port plays a position, we're not going to be. A, a, a distributor of power, generator of power. I, I, don't, I don't see that's where we, uh, the path that we're going down at this point. So just basically uh, offering space as what we usually do. For manufacturing of right. offshore wind floating turbines okay. and other uses, ancillary uses, yes. Okay, thank you. Vice President Adams. I think if I could add one thing oh. to that. Um, I think that was kind of the intent of this slide around the offshore wind ecosystem. There are a lot of open puzzle pieces in this offshore wind thing. Um, and the ports are really the only part that we can influence. There's transmission, there's the actual wind farms themselves, and there's the power purchase. Um, hopefully other people are working on those problems. Uh, I think the port is probably a big enough problem for us to focus on, um, but it, it's all part of this overall question. Yes. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the report. Uh, I just wanted to add a couple of things. This is a signature project of uh, President Biden and also Governor Newsom. Now, a lot can happen next year in these 2024 elections. Um, and another thing, this is this thing could take five to ten years. This, this is a long-term project. This is not something that's going to happen overnight. ILW, we've been engaged with uh, Congressman Giramandi, on this issue, uh, Senator Cantwell, who's the chairwoman of transportation and commerce in the U.S. Senate. And, of course, you talked about different ports. San Francisco's lined up, but also Long Beach is putting aside a 1,000 acres. You got Port Miami, you got Humboldt. Um, and so there's different ports that are looking at this. Um, and Andrea made mention, I'll just be straight up about this, there are issues on the East Coast in several ports. Because Orsted, who's one of the biggest in this offshore wind, there's a big rift right now between the uh, maritime unions on the East Coast, uh, maritime trades, and then, of course, and then the maritime unions. Mm -hmm. And uh, Orsted is a lot responsible for that. And I know that we here on the West Coast, we support the building trades, and they support us, and there will be enough work uh, for everybody. Uh, but it's going to take especially when you're talking about putting legislation. There's a lot of bills that are in the next session up in uh, Sacramento. And collectively, the unions need to be working together on this legislation moving forward. All the stakeholders don't, we don't need division among somebody going to one lawmaker and then having a feud between unions and lawmakers. There's enough work for everybody. There's a, and we need to respect that and move this thing forward because um, California could be leading the nation in this offshore wind, and I think we're strategically positioned right now, especially here in San Francisco, to do some big things. And I'm glad you said what you said because the way this thing would go is that, you know, the maritime unions would bring the material in and then take it to a point of rest, and then the constructions and the trades, they would put these big things together. They're huge. They're like a big missile, like a couple football fields. They're huge. And then we got to load it back on and take it out to sea. So there's, it's a very complex thing. And I just hope that the elections will work out next year. But as I said, I know it's a signature. I've had several conversations with Governor Newsom, Governor Newsom about it. And uh, California, this would, this would be an advantage to us 
to be leading the nation on his offshore. So I appreciate the work that you're doing and understanding. And also having a stevedore and company that will come in here and take up that risk, um, it's, 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 you know, it's going to be so important. So all the parties know they can work together. Because one thing I do know, at least here in San Francisco, we had the shipyards. You had about 11 unions working in those shipyards. So we can work collectively together if we respect each other's jurisdiction and look at the big picture. And I think this would be a great plus for us and this offshore win for the Port of San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you. Andre and Simon, thank you so much for this report. Um, a lot of work has gone into this, and, and this is a great opportunity for the port. So just, just for my sake, and I'm trying to understand this process moving forward, we've done this intensive study. We have a 140-page report. We have three sites that could possibly be used. So what are the next steps and what do we do in order to prepare us to really start spending money on this effort? Does that make sense? Just trying to understand how, how do we best move this project forward and when will we know that if we spend $10 million that we will get an investment from that $10 million. So I'll start and yeah. Simon can fill in any for gaps. Sure. But um, so for us, I think the the one of the or this was our first step following the uh, the last uh, engagement um, to review the conceptual plan that is uh, attached to this to the staff report and to understand you know what role that we play, what can our facilities do um, in this this whole chain of, of uh, offshore wind uh, economics. Um, from my perspective, and I know. Simon has been involved a, a lot more in, in the weeds, but I think it's still that CEC strategic plan uh, that has a lot of uh, uh, analysis or assessments that need to be made and determine and outline those next steps, not just for San Francisco, but for ports uh, in, in California. And uh, I think it's the CEC's uh, readiness plan that was published in July, which will inform the uh, strategic plan, will give us a little bit more guidance um, on uh, how to proceed. And in addition to that, uh, there's the ongoing engagements with offshore wind interests. So there are uh, developers that are established and under construction in, on the East Coast uh, that have reached out to us that we have a meeting scheduled with, I believe, in the forthcoming weeks. Uh, in understanding, you know, what opportunities are moving are, are there for us in, in moving down that path, and then the other thing that I'll just mention is the the demonstration project is if you know still prelim, but if there's an opportunity to advance that demonstration project here in San Francisco, then I I believe that would definitely give us a roadmap to the longer, big, bigger project. Uh, but Simon, anything to to add there? Uh, I think um, our next steps are really talking about it. Um, just even speaking at it about it in San, uh, Sacramento last week has led to interested developers mm -hmm. reaching out to us proactively, furthering these conversations. Um, and to your point, this is a like a multi-decade potential project, mm -hmm. so it's a very mm -hmm. slow process. Very slow process. Um, mm -hmm. In terms of confidence in spending money, I think that's why it's. Um, a great project that it accomplishes offshore wind potentially, but it's also seismic stability of Pier 94, 96 in the short term. Yeah. So there are concrete wins to pursuing a design and to spending some money here. Mm -hmm. um, those improvements will benefit the port regardless of whether it's offshore wind or another use. So I think there is some, um, some value in that in the short term. I can add a couple of comments as well. Um, the CEC report is critical, and you were talking about the ports collaborating, cooperating with each other, and that's what we're doing through the State Lands Commission. So our team is preparing us and getting us ready, understanding our assets and facilities. So when that infrastructure work and the plan, the State Lands Commission CEC completes, uh, we'll see how we fit in. And I think that that structure is really helping us be far less competitive 
in this space, uh, which is spectacular, really important here, uh, especially for ports like ours. We do think we have the waterway and the location, and we have rare competitive advantage here that we haven't seen in other uh, maritime opportunities. So we, we feel really positive about that, but it is a very long lead. We don't know the financial terms that Commissioner Lee was asking. Uh, we don't, you know, it really is we're stepping into an opportunity and taking each step as it arrives, if that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. And have we studied what and if any environmental impacts are associated with this? At this time, we, we, we haven't. But of course, any, uh, as we, that was a question from the SAC committee. And uh, uh, we made it clear that uh, all necessary studies, whether CEQA, NEPA, uh, in any other environmental regulations that are uh, required, that require permitting, we definitely are going to continue down the the path of compliance and ensuring that all of those uh, concerns are met. Thank you. If there are any. Thank you. Any other comments, questions? Real quickly, uh, President Brandon. Uh, Andre, I know we had a, a group over here from, and I've spent time over in Rotterdam and, and Holland, and they're really big into this with the windmills and stuff like that. Even going out to Vega, going out to, excuse me, down to Palm Springs, you'll see a lot of the windmills and that type of energy. So. This is the few, I mean, this is going to be big. And if California is successful, and especially if our port is successful in all the ports, then you will see this in Oregon. They're already talking about it in Oregon, and they're talking about it in Washington State. And so if something really happens here, the governors from other states have already talked to our governor saying, hey, we want to do the same thing in Oregon. They're talking about Coos Bay, Oregon, and then they're talking up in the Seattle-Tacoma area. And if you know the Port of Tacoma, most of the Port of Tacoma is on tribal land, the Puyallup Indian tribe. So this is, is something big that a lot of stakeholders, and as I say, this is a, maybe a 10-year project, but I'm glad you, you're laying down the groundwork and, and having developers reaching out to you. If, has Orsted reached out to you? We have not spoken with Orsted. But, but you're aware of them, right? Familiar with their challenges on the East Coast right now. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Madam Any President. other questions or comments? Thank you. It's a great opportunity, and if we can help in any way, please let us know. Thank you, Commissioners. Next item, please. <laughs> item 10 is new business. I have recorded one piece of new business, which is to consider that LBE 8% requirement and see if we can uh, have bidding that would give points to going above and beyond that 8%. Is there any other new business? and to figure out how we're going to engage our LBEs with the long-term yes. uh, projects we have going on at the port. Yep, absolutely. I got one. Can you fix the clock? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, swear, I thought, it's God, time sure flies. Yeah. You know, I was looking at that thing. <laughs> it threw me off. That's my new business. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can I have a motion to adjourn? Motion to adjourn. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. The meeting is adjourned at 4.23 p.m. Record timing. Yes. yes. yes.